0: As we do, we're going to study um, what Jesus says in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section on the Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the most misquoted section of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. We'll kind of work our way through it. The idea before us tonight is kind of what I've t- uh, kind of termed this or titled this lesson, Finding Clearer Vision. Um, i uh went to my eye doctor last week and uh, got some contacts i've been trying contacts at different points in my life and i have a severe astigmatism and contacts have never really been successful for me and so the last attempt i had with contacts was about 20 years ago and uh, the technology just hadn't developed to the point where one the contacts were affordable and two they didn't fit my eye very well uh, but, um, I, so I was talking to my eye doctor and I said, you know, I'd like to try contacts again. I enjoyed them when I had them in high school because I couldn't read very well with them and I couldn't wear them to class because I couldn't see that well from a distance, but they were great outside for playing golf or for working outside, playing sports or whatever. And I would like to try them again, but I don't think that they're going to work. And she, she said to me, she said, well, Clint. Uh, In case you don't know this, technology has changed a whole lot in the last 20 years. So let's give it a shot. And so I went last week, got some, I've enjoyed them. uh, And they've seemed to work so far. I'm not wearing them tonight, but um, they seem to be working so far. But the whole point of that is, is I've got to have something to correct my vision because my eyes by themselves are not good enough. Uh, They're not clear enough because of my astigmatism, I see multiple of everything. I never could play baseball. Uh, I, can, I could play the heck out of a softball because it was big and coming slow. But a baseball, I couldn't. It was coming. I saw three baseballs and had no clue which one to hit. Uh, the only pitch I could hit was a low inside pit breaking ball because it got everything came down to right. And all three balls converged to one right under my eyes and I could drill it. But that was it. So you're not really successful when you have one part of the zone you can actually hit a ball. But um, I have to have something, right, to help my eyes, help my sight, so that I can see clearly, Uh, I can see uh, to drive, I can see to read, I can see to grow and develop, Uh, I can see, which is probably my favorite thing to do, to text people uh, and uh, develop conversations, etc. So I have to have something. Well, Matthew chapter 7, kind of, in a sense, the beginning part of Matthew chapter 7 gives us... Uh, A lens through which we are to view the world uh, that kind of helps us have a clearer vision. A clearer vision of God, a clearer vision of ourselves, and a clearer vision of other people. And it is a very significant portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to dive into it tonight. I'm going to read it, but then I'm going to go and do a little bit of introduction and we'll come back. I don't have it on the screen, so just listen as I read The parts of the scripture I'm going to go from tonight. Matthew chapter 7 beginning in verse 1 through verse 12. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye. But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother. Let me take the speck out of your eye. When there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs or swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we've been working our way through. Let me give you a little introduction. We've been working our way through. Uh, this story of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, this Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. it's kind of three main points to the sermon. Matthew chapter 5 has to do with the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. Now, as you want to follow me, I want you to do certain things as you follow me, as you serve me, as you live in relationship with me. Matthew chapter 6 has to do with the fatherhood of God and the freedom uh, of his children. In other words, we talk about there, how do we... Um, God says, if, if, when you approach me, you approach me as the Father who is in heaven. And God loves his children, and as his children, we are free uh, to follow him. There's tremendous freedom in that love of God. And then we move into chapter 7, and it has to do with the judgment of God and its impact on our lives. Uh, and that's an important section because... We live in a a society where the temptation is to think of God as a father without thinking of God as a judge or thinking of God in some context as a judge without thinking of him as a father. But for those of us who believe what the Bible says and believe how the Bible reveals God to us as both father and judge, father of his children, judge of the world, right, So as he is father and judge, it's tremendously encouraging to us. Matthew chapter 6 and the story of how we approach God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc., should be tremendously encouraging to us. Because if we have the Father who loves us the way our Father in heaven loves us through Jesus our Lord, then we have no reason to fear the fact that our God is also the judge of the earth. Reason being, because we will not be judged according to our sins, but rather we will be those who receive grace and welcome into our Father in relationship with Him through grace and in His love. So I'm not afraid of being judged one day. Um, uh, You know, this Halloween was yesterday, and and there's a, a group of Christians who really get excited about uh, using Halloween as an opportunity to get people saved, and so they'll do things like judgment houses. A uh, judgment house is this um, production that that they take people through. I think Calvary Baptist in Rock Hill does one. I've been to others where well, they take you through and and they tell you this kind of just horrific story of a young man who dies in a car wreck, etc. And and then. Uh, you know, they take you through uh, hell, they go through all the process of seeing somebody die, then they go to this de- this room that's a depiction of hell, and it's perhaps the scariest thing you'll ever see in your life, and, and these demon-looking creatures crying out in, in, in bars and all this stuff, and then, then they take you to the next phase and, and take you into uh, a picture of what heaven's going to be, and at the conclusion of the judgment house, you're called upon uh, in that moment, in response to what you've just heard, uh, you're called upon to decide which way you will go. Will you follow Jesus and go to heaven or will you not and spend your life in hell? And um, in the moment, oftentimes, it's, quote, pretty successful for salvation because everybody's terrified. Uh, I mean, scared literally. I went through it one time. I was scared literally to death. Uh, And so you think you're about to get hit by the car, and so you're freaking out. and so, But the idea is uh, that God's going to be your judge. And, and the emphasis is all about God being your judge. But for those of us who've trusted Christ, God being our judge is not something we should be afraid of. Because we have been received into the family of our Father through His love in Jesus Christ. Jesus was judged on our behalf. Jesus took the penalty for our sins. The only sin that Jesus had as he hung on a cross was our sin, my sin, your sin. And it was given to him. And so if we've responded to God's call on our lives, the call of Jesus to come and follow him, and we are his children, then we have no reason to fear judgment. Because Christ has paid that for us. The issue that judgment has with most people, and the reason most people push back on judgment... Is because they've rejected God as judge. They have the Tupac slogan, only God can judge me. Well, you really don't want that, Tupac. Uh, he had a tattoo, you don't know Tupac, that's a cultural reference. There are a few people who understand that. But he had tattooed only thug life, and then he had also a tattoo, that said only God can judge me. Uh, but they take away this idea that God's going to, um, they, they reject God as the judge. And if they reject God as the judge, then they will never know the blessing that you and I know of knowing Him as Father. Um, They will never understand what it's like to be able to, in a sense, figuratively, spiritually, crawl up into the arms of your Father in heaven and come before Him and rest in His loving grace. And if they reject Him as Father, then they will know Him as judge. And so Jesus here is showing in a very important way that God is Father, chapter 6, but God is also going to judge the world. And He wants to make sure that His hearers are warned appropriately. If you come and trust the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ, you know Him as Father, you have no reason to fear judgment. He's going to judge, but you have no reason to fear it. If you reject Him and His call in your life, then you will know him as judge and you will never know him as father. And that's a scary proposition. And so chapter 7 is really all about that. This understanding of God as father and judge really is helpful in your life and in my life. It has two primary impacts. Number one, it, is a, it has a sanctifying and restraining influence on your life. In other words, if I know right that God is my father and he's welcomed me into his throne and the grace and mercy out of love for him... But I also know that if I walk away from Him, then I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer judgment. But as long as I stay connected to Him in faith, I won't suffer. But if I walk away from Him, I will, then I want to pursue holiness. I, I, want, to, I want to have a strict sense of my own sin and I want to have a determination to master it because I don't want to be found wanting. I, I want to be following the Lord, living in relationship you with know, within the under the shadow of His wings. It also makes us merciful And gentle with other people. It sanctifies us and clarifies our attitudes to others and ourselves. In other words, when we understand God as Father and judge, we we recognize that, that judging the world is not our job, it's His. But it's also, but for the grace of God, I would be suffering judgment. But God has chosen in His grace to welcome me into His family, so I need to be gracious and kind toward other people. I need to be loving and gentle. With them and gentle with myself. Because one of the harshest critics of Clint is Clint. Maybe the harshest critic of Clint is Clint. And that's probably true for you as well. You're probably your harshest critic. But in being harshly uh, and a harsh critic of yourself, you're also a harsh critic a lot of times of other people. And that gets to the heart of what Jesus is getting to. And so understanding that God is Father and Judge. Yeah, He's Judge, but we know Him as Father, therefore we have no reason to fear. We are recognizing that we are only His children by His grace, and we're going to be gracious and loving and gentle toward others because we want them to know the freeing grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we jump into the passage of Scripture that is perhaps the most misquoted passage of Scripture in all of Matthew's Gospel, perhaps even in the New Testament. And here it is. Judge not that you be not judged, or you probably know it from the old King James. Judge not lest ye be judged, right? Well, don't you judge or you're going to be judged. So what Jesus is not saying, I thought we would approach this... um, kind of asking the question, what is Jesus not saying first? And then we'll understand what Jesus is saying. And I think this is important because it kind of helps contradict and and push against some modern misconceptions of what Jesus is actually saying here. What Jesus is not saying, first of all, is that he is not saying that we don't ever say something is wrong because it isn't up to you or me to judge. Uh, A lot of times when people quote that passage, it's because we have the audacity to say to those people, listen, what you're doing is not right. You are immoral. You are living in moral um, failure here. Uh, you're, You're doing things that are not acceptable in the eyes of God in accordance with the law. And their response is, don't you judge me lest you be judged. Well, he's not saying that we don't make judgments based upon actions. He's not saying that we don't ever say something is wrong. That would be a contradiction of the Bible. God says there are certain things that are acceptable and certain things that are not. In our world with our sexual sins, in our world with our um, misunderstandings of, of identities, in our world of our pursuits of the murder of unborn children, in our world in our pursuit of greed and uh, amassing wealth, etc., in our materialism, uh, there are many times when we have to say, that's not right. That's not right. And I, I I hope that none of us would... Would, would use this um, as an excuse not to condemn the, the grievous attacks of, of, of Hamas terrorists, right? We have to make those judgments because God says certain things are right and certain things are wrong. So people often say, don't judge me. They don't want us to say what they're doing is wrong. Is wrong. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is also saying that we're not to hold, we are not to hold to moral distinctions. In other words, we, he's not saying that we aren't supposed to say, these things are right, these things are wrong. These expressions of life and sexuality, etc., are right, and these are wrong based upon the testimony of the Bible. We are to hold to those moral distinctions. Absolutely we are. We have to as God's people. But a lot of times people will use it and say, well, who are you? We're supposed to just say everything's acceptable because we're tolerant. No, we can tolerate behaviors as a society and not say they 're right right and not say they're they 're proper. We have to hold the distinctions and what Jesus is not saying is that God will treat you vindictively if you make judgment about someone else 's moral behavior or, or morality or behavior. in other words, if I was in sin and you came up to me and you challenged me, uh, fairly or unfairly, what Jesus is not saying is that if you have the audacity to challenge someone else and make a distinction, make a judgment uh, about their behaviors, not about their person, but about their behaviors, then God's going to use that same standard against you. That's not what Jesus is saying. God is not sitting up there going to be vindictive and give you Um, what you give other people. Judge not lest you be judged. Sometimes it's interpreted that way. Well, if you judge me, God's going to judge you. right? He's going to judge you the same measure that you've judged me. That's not what Jesus is saying here. So what actually is Jesus saying? That's an important question. What is Jesus saying? Because this passage is most often misquoted by our society. Number one, Jesus is saying, do not commit the sin of censoriousness. Now, some of us know what censoriousness is because you grew up in a time when that was a good word that was used often. Um, I, was not, I did not grow up in a time like that. I had no clue what censoriousness was until I was doing this preparation. I used it because once I found out what it meant, I thought it was the perfect word. I, I got it from somebody else. But censoriousness means being overly critical of others while ignoring your own sins. So Jesus says, right, judge not lest you be judged, and then he uses an illustration, and he says, um, don't be trying to get the speck of dust out of someone else's eye when you've got a big old plank coming out of your own eye. Right? Get the big plank out of your eye before you ever think about the sin or the, the dust in someone else's eyes. What is he getting to? What is he saying? Well, oftentimes in our lives we can find ourselves getting into a situation where we are more sensitive to what sins going on in everybody else's life and completely ignore the sin in our own lives. And the reason we do that is because we don't want to confront our own guilt. We want to deflect. We want to have uh, use it as a defense mechanism. Well, uh, you, you, you're doing that. You, you're doing this. We, we deal with this at, at our house. We're learning to take responsibility and somebody gets in trouble and uh, we point out our sibling and we'll say, well, she was doing that and she she's doing worse than me or he was doing worse than me, you know, that kind of thing. And we're like, but we're not addressing them. Don't be so sensitive to what's going on in everybody else's life and ignore what's going on in our lives. You, you know people who've done that. Maybe you've done that, but I guarantee you've had somebody do that to you. Some hypocritical person comes up with some outstanding... Uh, in their own mind, their outstanding moral record, and they come up to you and they're like, hey, I just want you to know that I'm really concerned about, about how you're living in this way. Or I'm really, and, and, and you know all the while that person has, is, is a shyster, is a cheat, is a robber, is a stealer, etc. You know all that, a gossiper, you know all that about them. And you're like, how do you get off? It's kind of like Uh, The Egyptian who asked asked Moses, who made you prince and judge over us? And so what Jesus is saying here is we, we make those judgments, but we better deal with them in our own lives first. Start here, and then you go out. So he's saying don't commit that sin, being overly critical of others. And what happens when we're overly critical to others, right? We become critical of ourselves. And then, once we start dealing with that, we can delude ourselves into thinking that we're better than we really are, right? Uh, We're better than everyone else. And what the hypocrite typically does is the hypocrite shows out in some, uh, you've seen it, we've had it happen in this church, somebody shows out over some gross injustice, it's like a minor issue, they blow it up and they make it in this big, 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 big stink, right? All the while... You know that person's got some mess going on, but they're using all that to defend, to push off, and to push away from what's really happening, their own sense of guilt, their own shame, their own brokenness, their own knowledge. And So what Jesus is getting at here is we've got to have new eyes to say, I'm going to see myself first. I'm going to start dealing with the sin in my own life. I'm going to ask God to show it to me, reveal it to me. I want to live in righteousness. I'm your, I, I, I'm, I'm your child through Jesus who took the judgment for me, I'm going to respond to that by walking with you in faith because I love you, I want to obey you, and I also recognize if I step away from you and lose the faith and don't persevere, I'm going to and and start living in sin. I'm going to suffer the judgment. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to deal with that in my own heart, and then I'm going to graciously and kindly call it out if I need to in someone else's. But I'm going to get the big plank out of my own eye first. That's what Jesus is getting at. Not saying we don't make moral distinctions. He's saying we have to do it in the proper order and deal with ourselves first. We continue on, he says, seeing others more clearly. So he goes on in verse 6 and he talks about this idea of casting pearls before swine. And... Um, so, even in this, in verse 6, he, he's telling us we have to make distinction. Uh, verse six, let me read it again. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Uh, that seems like an odd um, statement, odd illustration, until you understand that Jesus is talking about spiritual terms non believers. Dogs, Roman soldiers, pigs, Gentiles. Okay? And so he's saying, as religious, faithful people, through Jesus, we're all members of Abraham's family through faith in Christ. Those on the outside are dogs and pigs. What's he saying? Two things. Number one, you and I need to be careful and be wise. We know those people in our lives who we want everybody to know Jesus. It grieves our heart. But you know what? You may have shared the gospel with them. You may have challenged them to come to church. You may have gone to them and said, Hey, listen, your lifestyle and and this, that, and the other is not right. And, And you need to turn and follow back to the Lord. And they may look at you like you are a complete moron. They may just tell you to go jump in a lake somewhere. Uh, They probably, if they're not a believer, uh, will tell you to go jump in a lake somewhere in a much more colorful terminology uh, than what maybe you and I would say to each other, etc. And what he's saying here is, you've told them, don't waste all your time worried about them. we got a guy in our church who just loves the Lord. He is so devoted to the Lord. He's got a couple friends that just, they have no desire none and they've told him that these guys come and talk to me a couple of times he's like clint what, what do i do i've tried to talk to them and they just completely shut me down and i last time he came in i said you just need to stop talking to them you need to start praying for them continue being their friends but take the message of salvation somewhere else if the lord would want those people he'll soften them in time they know where you believe Take it somewhere else. That's the principle. Have enough discernment. Say, you know what? I'm not going to keep beating my head against that wall over there. Right? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to set myself up for failure and persecution. So this is first Don't waste it. There, there, We've got to make judgment though, who's, who will receive it and who won't. But then he also says, be mindful of the importance of appropriate behaviors in front of watching eyes. When, when you and I... Um, interact with people who aren't Christians, and prayerfully we do regularly, um, we have to go out and, and we have to, to be honorable in the way we carry ourselves. And sometimes we can, in our attempt to be relevant and be friendly and soften the blow, we can be like those who just <coughs> reduce the importance of, of Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here is, you, you don't go and, 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 and reduce your commitment in front of other people to try to, quote, win them. You've got to maintain your respect, your devotion to God in front of them. And you've got to be able to make a judgment regarding the kind of person you're dealing with. It's not wrong. Their behaviors show them who. They show the reality of the heart. You're not judging the person. You're not saying you're going to hell because you don't have the authority to do that. Right? You have the responsibility to share the good news, to live out your faith in front of them to the honor and glory of God in hopes that they'll come to Christ, but don't waste all your time trying to beat your head against a wall. So I'll end with this. Uh, we will not get to the latter part of this. Let me end with this. This morning we, we dealt with the same thing in Bible study this morning, James chapter 4. It's like James, who is the Lord's younger brother, um, heard this message he probably did john even said it. john kruger taught he even said i wonder if james heard jesus teach this on the sermon on the mount we dealt with the same thing and the question was um you know how are we to make judgments without being judgmental and the illustration that that i've come up with and i've talked to several people after bible study with and i think this is helpful um, is we could illustrate it with the law of the land So, we've got the law of the land. You and I are all citizens here, given the fact that Judge Gibbons is not in the room. Every one of us in this room is a citizen, and we do not have any authority by virtue of the law, right? We have no authority by virtue of the law to put anybody in jail, okay? Uh, Barney Fife had a citizen's arrest, but that doesn't really work in the modern world, okay? But you and I have a responsibility to our friends to go to them and say, hey, listen, you've been doing some things that are illegal. And uh, if you don't stop doing those things, you're going to get caught. And if you get caught, you're going to go sit perhaps in front of the judge. And if you sit in front of the judge and you are found guilty, he's going to put you in prison, or he's going to punish you within the confines of the law. Me telling you to be careful is my duty to you as a friend. But I love you enough to say, hey, listen, you need to stop doing that. You need to stop doing that kinds of behavior. If you don't, you potentially could get caught. You got away with it, but you potentially could get caught. And if you get caught and they put you before the judge and you are found guilty, he has the authority based off the law to put you in prison to to punish you for your law-breaking. Well, when we, Jesus is talking about the law of the universe, the moral law of God, every one of us has a responsibility to each other if we love and care for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. To say, "Listen, you put you in a dangerous spot. What you're doing is not in accordance with God's law. And if you're claiming to be a child of the living King, you better right, you better learn to submit yourself to Him." Because if you continue to live this way, when you die, you're going to stand before the judge. And he will do what he has promised to do. He is faithful to do it. And you don't want that. That's not me judging you. That's me trying to help you out. That's me saying I love you enough to call you to come into faith and repentance and relationship with God. It's If we could use it in a little more humorous illustration... It's when I pull my son Joshua aside and say, Hey, buddy, let me give you a little lesson that's going to be very important for you for the rest of your life. When your mama gets like this, let's go outside. Let's stay away. Because you're about to get yourself in trouble because you continue to push it. Don't do it, son. Don't do it. It's not going to end well for you. And I don't want to see it. And so let's all go away out of the presence and let's let it die. That's me trying to help him out because she is going to be a judge when he don't listen to her, and rightly so, right? I'm not saying anything negative about her. I'm saying that's right, me trying to help him learn. Get out of the way. Let's go away. Same thing. So we're not, we're not judging. We're not being judgmental. We're not saying, man, you're a piece of crap. You need to go and you're going to hell. blah, blah. No, no, no. We go and say, listen, what you're doing is not right. You need to come into relationship with God. Because if not, he's going to judge. And that's not where you want to be. I could promise you that. So that's the challenge. Judge not lest you be judged. Misquoted. We, we challenge each other. But we don't have the authority to put somebody away. And oftentimes, sadly, that's what Christians do. They put people away because they've committed sins that are too gross or whatever. And that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to love, to encourage, to build each other up, but at the same time recognize who we're dealing with and move forward in accordance with the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for your love, and we ask that you will be with us and that you'll give us uh, your grace uh, in accordance with your will. For it is in Christ we pray. Amen. All right.